Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are going to get practical today. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I love Good News Friday days where we have a chance to, uh, well, give you a chance to win some stuff, which is always fun. Um, But also where we have a chance to deal with some of the issues that are, you know, really plaguing us in the nation, especially as it pertains to us in the body of Christ, doing what we are called to do, which is to love God, love other people, and go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? There's three parts to that component. And we have a tendency in the church, let's be real, to screw those up pretty royally. (laughs) I mean, take your pick. Uh, Which of those three do you feel you do the best? Loving God, loving other people, or going into all the world and preaching the gospel. I will be honest with you. I think because of the, by virtue of the position that God has called me here, this is my job, this is my ministry, it's my calling, that I'd say number three, because I have an opportunity to share that good news with anybody who will listen, uh, regular listeners like you, and people who are finding us for the first time. And we have an interesting phenomenon that happens here at the Bottom Line Show. And that is, that uh, the program is we're in our 12th year now and when it comes to our local affiliate southern california's kbrt kbright am 740 and am 1240 we um the the crawfords have owned these stations i think uh am 740 for like 42 years 43 years and am 1240 for almost a decade now and it's interesting because when it comes to uh you know the 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 longevity People will say, I've been listening to K-Bright since the 80s. I've been listening to K-Bright since the Rich Bueller days. You know, and, and for those who are uh, listening out of state or in different regions, uh, Rich Bueller uh, was the guy who invented the uh, Christian radio talk program call-in thing that we know right now. I mean, there are lots of talk radio programs available to you on podcasts, on, on terrestrial radio, etc. But in the early 1980s, KBRT was playing contemporary Christian music, which at the time wasn't super contemporary. It wasn't really loud and rock and roll as Bill Gaither and stuff like that. But Rich had a background in top 40 radio, but he also had a pastoral ministry background. And he sat down with Don Crawford Sr. They had a conversation and Rich said, you know what, I think doing this call-in type of thing will be great because no one else is doing it. You know, a lot of Christian, most Christian media at that point was recorded. Let's do live stuff. And so they started Talk From the Heart, and it just went through the roof. I mean, from was it 2 o'clock in the afternoon all the way until sign-off, or maybe 1 o'clock. I mean, Rich was on for quite some time. And he did the program for nearly 10 years. In the first five years, there was really no competition. And then a couple of FMs switched formats and became Christian Teaching and Talk. They did live call-in stuff, and it kind of cut into the market share. But Rich was here for a good decade, and I'm honored to have held this seat uh, with the Bottom Line Show for about as long. You know, it, it's kind of cool. Rich was uh, kind enough when he came back for a second tenure and then he developed cancer and had to retire. Um, Rich was, a, he blessed this program. Uh, we, the original co-host, myself and Dave Householder, went to Rich and Diane Bueller's house in Anaheim Hills about a week before the show started. They laid hands on us. We talked, we strategized. And then our first guest... <laughs> With you know, the first day that we came on with the bottom line show um, was right after Rich had signed off on Talk from the Heart, very dramatic uh, signing off. And the first guest we had was Rich, 
and uh, it was it was just great. And we still get calls from people saying, "I've been listening to K Bright since the Rich Bueller days." And thank you. We matter of fact, we still air a Best of Rich Bueller on the weekends. You'll have to check the program guide. I'm not exactly sure when it lines up because it does kind of dance around. But if you ever get nostalgic for Rich Bueller and Talk from the Heart, you can hear it here on Crawford. Now, the reason I bring up you know, the rich component and the bottom line show and our longevity is we still have people who will say, I've been listening to the bottom line for 10 years. This is the first time I've ever called in. <laughs> and I love it when you do that. Thank you for listening and thank you for calling. And we do have a great giveaway to share with you today here on Good News Friday. So especially as it pertains to that last part of the puzzle, how do you go about preaching the gospel? But let's look at the first two components again. Jesus basically said in the New Testament, that when he was confronted by the rich young ruler and he said, hey, look, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus met him in a, you know, he was about to usher in the new covenant in his blood. And, but they were still living under the old covenant. Remember, Jesus came and was the perfect Jew in addition to being, you know, son of God, fully God and fully man. And so, of course, he was in synagogue every week and he he upheld the law. He was perfect. He never sinned. And so when this young guy comes up to him and says, what do I need to do? to have eternal life, he could have given him the Ten Commandments, he could have told him about all the feasts and all the things that you have to uh, you know, adhere to as a good Jew. Instead, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then basically, Roger paraphrased, said, if you do those two things, you are fulfilling all ten of the Old Testament uh, uh, Ten Commandments. And so a lot of people in the church today, I've noticed, will take an issue and then they'll try to run it through that lens of scripture. They'll say, you know, well, I, I'm, I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, everything I have is for him. And I love my neighbor as I love myself. Let's be real. I mean, can we just, it's just us. Let's be real for just a second here. What we're talking about, what a lot of people do is they'll say this. I love God because God gives me good stuff. My life is better when I'm hanging around Christians. And so, sure, I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, I, I, I can sit down every week, at the end of the week, like we do here on Friday, and I can look back at my checkbook. I can look back at my day runner, planner, calendar, whatever. I can look at my step counter. I can look at my food intake for the whole week, and I can ask myself the question, did you really love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit the way you should? Are you tithing properly? Are you stewarding God's resources? And then come back and say, wow, man, I stink. I mean, you spend a lot more time repenting than rejoicing in situations like that and asking for forgiveness. But then the love your neighbor as yourself part. Boy, has that become nebulous in the culture, hasn't it? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Selfishly, what the world says is, okay, here's the deal. I want to do my thing. You want to do your thing. So I want you to be able to do your thing the same way I want to be able to do my thing. So if you don't give me the grief about what I'm doing, I won't give you the grief about what you're doing. And then that way I'm loving my neighbor as myself, right? <laughs> and you turn around and go, uh, is that exactly what God meant when Jesus spoke those words? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength means basically just that. I mean, it's pretty basic. Everything you have, every thought, every word, every action, every expenditure or lack thereof, every hi, how are you, or lack thereof. 
you know, how, how, are you doing that as under the glory of God? Because there are times, let's face it, I mean, we all do the uh, Good Samaritan thing in the first two guys in the story instead of the third, where the priest and the rabbi go walking by and just get on the other side of the street. Uh, did you see him? I didn't see him. I'm kind of busy. Uh, gee, that guy's dead body, or it looks like he's dead. He could be ceremonially unclean. I'm not going to touch him. I mean, th those were concerns I'm sure that they had. The Samaritan rolls up and says, hey, man, I know what it's like to be beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. Here, let me let me use what I have to care for you. I don't know you, and I'll never see you again, but this is how I'm going to treat you. It really, that loving your neighbor as yourself thing really isn't so much about saying, oh, well, you're engaged in this kind of sin, so am I, so you know what? We'll condone each other's sins, and that way I'm loving you. See? See? Look at me. But the problem, though, is, I mean, we can see that that's obviously wrong, but the problem, though, is sometimes we'll go 180 degrees in the other direction. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, well, you know, you're, you, sinner, I see that you're in, in, name your sin. You're addicted to gambling or alcohol, or you're engaged in sex outside of marriage with somebody who's not your spouse, or blah, 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 and here I come to point my shamey finger at you. Well, what you're saying is actually loving, but the way you're saying it is pretty offensive. So how do we show the love of Christ love our neighbor as ourselves and show honor that we honor God as well and go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let me give you an example of what's happening in this regard right now. And it's happening in a place where you might expect it to happen, a church. But it's also happening in a way where there are graveyards involved. We're going to talk about this coming up next as the bottom line continues. This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 25th. It's going to be at the Gem Theater. They're going to have free popcorn, free sodas, and free hot dogs. It's a fun location. It's a fun place to go and take you back in time. But really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now. And so when do you start thinking about retirement? Well, you better start thinking about it now. And, and so this will get you ahead of the ball, get you ahead of the curve. We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, it's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and the good news story that we're looking at uh, involves the issue of the three components of living, I believe, as a New Testament Christian, and that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and go into all the world and preach the gospel. There are a lot of Christians who would like to believe they're doing that by getting involved in social justice causes. And good for you for standing up for people who have been marginalized, disenfranchised, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes we take it a little too far, I believe, and the more progressive flank of the Christian uh, world has a tendency to go out and actually condone behavior that I think is unacceptable. 
um, whether it's supporting LGBTQ rights or transgenderism or things like that. I mean, I, there's a big difference between standing with someone who's wrestling with those issues, gender dysphoria and the like, and people who are saying, oh, yeah, we totally affirm what you're doing and we'll, we'll help you get there. You know, same thing with abortion and stuff like that. In the social justice world, a lot of Christians have jumped on the bandwagon of groups like Black Lives Matter and things like that, saying, well, we've got to stand up for people and, you know, th th this is a good way to do it, without realizing that they're kind of hitching their wagon to organizations that are communist and Marxist in nature, that are completely anti-Christian. But the question is, well, what else could we possibly do? Let me share with you a story here about a number of students and community members who got involved in this uh, case involving, uh, well, the final resting place for hundreds of enslaved African Americans. It turns out there is a chapel in Maryland, the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Bowie, which is a uh, suburb of Washington, D.C. And they use a special technology that enables them to go through and, and well, they, they, they can, what's the way, best way to describe it? You, you ever seen the people at the beach walking along the side and they've got those little electronic Geiger things or whatever and they can kind of scan over and as they scan over, they, what they find is they, um, they, they, they could dig down and find somebody's watch or a wedding ring or something like that. Well, apparently there are uh, the same type of technology that can spot human remains. Evidently, these have been used for years in, uh, uh, you know, police cases, DNA, forensic evidence, things of that nature. Well, using this kind of technology, the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Maryland, the Washington, D.C. suburb of Bowie, uh, they discovered that they had a gravesite literally in the backyard, if you will, of the church. And so what they discovered was there were a number of, I mean, they just, uh, typically if you were African-American, especially if you were a slave during that time, you did not have the luxury of being buried in a proper tomb, being embalmed, you know, the grave lowered into the ground, headstone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What typically happened is you wound up on a hillside. You wound up having to bury your dead on a sloped area, places way out in the woods. In all honesty, these are the places that were not uh, overly desirable for burial. Dr. Laura Mazur uh, works at uh, Catholic University and uh, in the graduate program, and, and she said, look, this is the places, quite frankly, white people just didn't want to bury their dead. So as they have gone through, they've been coming across, first and foremost, they, they, they look for things that are suspected of being potential grave markers, those grave markers, you know, it would be a pile of rocks, you know, like Old Testament stuff where they would pile up a heap of remembrance or whatever. That's how they mark them because, again, not having the money for proper headstone, uh, not being able to put them in traditional places. Can you imagine trying to bury a body on a slope that might wind up getting flooded out during a rain and, you know, the ground starts to come? You get the idea. Uh, Dr. Mazur and her team are using this ground-penetrating radar in that back area that has discovered nearly 150, uh, well, let's say, the remains of 150 people and the kind of uh, ramshackle graves that were used to bury them. Dr. Major believes that there could potentially be more than 500 
graves around this one church in Baltimore. Uh, Tony Moore Duggan is a member of St. Ignatius Catholic Church in Baltimore. And uh, she was out volunteering. They were, they're cleaning up. They're, they're, they're digging through. They're excavating. And they're finding that they were able to find these markers. Uh, Tony was one of the uh, first people of the volunteers to find something that turned out to actually be a grave of a former slave who was buried in what is now a church, a Catholic church in Bowie. Uh, many students at Catholic University have been helping out. As a matter of fact, um, Father Michael Russo, who's the uh, parochial vicar of the church, uh, wrote to the Christian Post last week and said that about 100 people came out last week to actually help. I mean, people from Baltimore, Washington, D.C. They wound up filling up six roll-off dumpsters with brush and trash, debris, things like that. But in doing so, in cleaning up the uh, yard, they also found that they were able to get better readings with their ground-penetrating radar to basically find these grave sites, these tombs. I mean, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But, you know, this is the thing that really gets to me about this project that I really appreciate. We talk about the sanctity of human life all the time here on The Bottom Line Show. And I know there are people who are passionately pro-life who will... Uh, make a donation to preborn, for example. Get the ultrasound machine in the healthcare center. A woman goes in, she gets a free pregnancy test, she gets a free ultrasound, things that she would have to pay for at a Planned Parenthood clinic. And then what happens after that is um, she has to, you know, then make a decision. Am I going to keep the child as a mother? I'm going to release the child for adoption or abort the child. And 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and get that kind of care um, actual health care, wind up keeping their children or releasing the kids for adoption. There are a lot of kids who wind up going through the abortion mills in this country whose remains are just discarded, just thrown away. And uh, there's a big flap, I think it's in Ohio right now, where one of the waste management companies has a contract with the abortion clinics and they don't properly dispose. I mean, the kids' bodies are just, they harvest them for organs and they just throw away their bodies. And it's such a huge disrespect for human life. Or you find the, the young girl who doesn't think she has the options and she gives birth and then winds up allowing her newly born child to die. And there are organizations that uh, will take the remains of those children and they've got plots of land and they will give them a proper burial. Well, let's assume for just a moment that the people who were victimized by slavery and wound up having to bury their dead of these random areas didn't have a proper burial, didn't have a proper recognition of here lies the body of, you know, et cetera. And I know a lot of people in the body of Christ would say, well, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we're all going to get new bodies anyway. Is it really that important? I believe it is. In the same way that a couple declares their love for each other and recites their vows in front of a pastor, in front of God and these witnesses when they get married, in the same way we send out birth announcements when somebody uh, takes their first breath outside of the womb, in the same way we let people know, hey, so-and-so passed away and is home with the Lord now, I, I believe it is important not only to have wedding ceremonies, but also to have uh, funeral ceremonies and memorial ceremonies. You miss something when somebody's life just ends and you choose not to have a service. I, I received notification late last year that a very dear friend of mine, 
uh, had passed away. A, a woman, she and her husband have been a huge influence in my life, and he passed away rather unexpectedly about 13 years ago, and she followed him um, just this past year. And her daughter sent out a note saying, hey, you know what? My mom passed away, and uh, we had her body cremated. She's interred next to um, her husband, and there's no service. I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, the, the service is the time when we get together and we celebrate the life of that person and the impact they had on us. And then we share with other people what's going on. And now in this case here with these, with these former slaves who were buried and they didn't have proper burials and their headstones aren't even marked, we have a golden opportunity here, brothers and sisters, to do three things in helping on these types of projects. Can you guess what those three things are? I'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and so glad that you are here today. We are taking a look here, doing a little analysis, balance, and clarity of the three things that I believe we as Christians see in Scripture that we are compelled to do as believers. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and go into all the world and preach the gospel that, and baptize those who believe it and receive it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're always looking for ways that we can show God that we love him, show others that we love God, and then go and preach that good news. And I'm not suggesting that you have to sit around going, wait, I haven't done five things this week for God, so I'm going to lose my salvation if I don't, and blah, blah, blippity, blah. That's a separate conversation. But one of the ways we in the body of Christ show our love for God is by showing respect for other people. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, always be prepared to give an answer to people who ask you about the hope that lies within you and do so with gentleness and respect. So showing respect for everybody and the dignity of human life, I think is crucial, number one. Loving your neighbor as yourself does not mean you condone sin, but rather it says, I affirm you as someone who is created in the image of God. And I want to treat you with respect and dignity. You may do things that are undignified and disrespectful, and at some point I may not be able to fellowship with you. But especially when it comes to end-of-life issues, one of the greatest witnessing opportunities I have ever seen for the church is at a funeral or at a memorial service. Because people's hearts are tender, they're remembering this person, maybe they have good memories, maybe they have not so good memories. So we have a chance to really reach out and show the love of Christ to people while we're mourning the death of those who've gone before us and then go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, for people who are looking for an opportunity to see what God's version of social justice looks like, how about these volunteers that recently descended upon the Sacred Heart uh, Catholic Church in Bowie, uh, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., where it was discovered recently that on the grounds of the church, which was founded as one of the first uh, black churches in the area, um, the congregation became a church in 1781. A Gowan pamphlet was an enslaved man, the first African-American to actually be ordained as a Baptist preacher. Um, and then in 2021, archaeologists believe what was this, to have been the first permanent structure for the congregation that was built in 1818. So they've got a long history here. It's now a Catholic church, but on this property, using ground-penetrating technology, they're able to discover at least 150 grave sites that had just kind of been forgotten and dirt and everything had kind of pound down on them. They estimate there may be as many as 500 people buried here. And so the community is rallying together to identify the remains, identify the grave sites, if there are some kind of markers, and then provide a proper burial and headstone for all these people. 
in doing so and acknowledging the dignity of human life, especially these people, the majority of whom were buried in this place, are slaves or were slaves. I can't think of a better way for us to take and make a positive stance for our faith in Christ, our respect for all people, and the sanctity of human life, which the culture says, you know what, you've got value as long as you can produce something for me, but if I don't want to be pregnant right now, we're going to kill this kid. If my elderly parent is getting to be too much of a problem, I want euthanasia. If somebody doesn't have a, a perfect body or a perfect mind, then we just want to rub them right out because that, it really isn't fair to them. But here, read this article. We'll put it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I think you'll be blessed by it. I think you'll be encouraged by it. But it's amazing how in wanting to uphold the sanctity of and dignity of human life, you get a chance to do all three in this one act of helping to help those who are ancestors and family and friends of those who did not have a proper farewell in this life to have that conversation. The hearts are tender, eyes are open, they're hearing and seeing how a person of the Christian faith would treat somebody's life like this with dignity and respect instead of with disdain and disinterest. And it's just another way that you can demonstrate the love of Christ in a way that doesn't align you with a political party or some kind of large organization that may have questionable ties to their funding or their founding. Something to think about on this Good News Friday today here on The Bottom Line. I mentioned earlier that it's a Good News Friday with a giveaway, and I love giving stuff away. Uh, Pastor Mark Pritchett has a powerful message to share about reaching the unchurched, why so many Christians will never share the gospel with anybody else. Anybody would discuss how good the gospel is with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Mark has written a book about his experience in having success with this uh, message, and it's called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. And after the pandemic, fewer and fewer people are attending church and being a part of a church fellowship. So let's see what Mark has to say about this on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to tackle a subject that is something that is really rudimentary and basic to us as believers, and yet for some reason, I mean, I I don't mean to be crass, but we do a lousy job of that, and that is reaching the unbelieving world with the gospel. How do we most effectively do that? Well, joining me today here on The Bottom Line is Pastor Mark Pritchett. He's the lead pastor and founder of Northridge 
church and uh, served in the U.S. Army for uh, more than 15 years and has a just a, a new, I think, refreshing approach to how we reach others through the uh, the good news of the gospel through many means possible. The book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Mark Pritchett, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Thank you, Roger, so very much, man, for having me. I'm so honored to be on here. Can't wait to chat with you guys about this subject. Well, likewise, let's let's get to it because let's face it: Matthew 28, Mark 16. We, I mean, I, at the risk of sounding, you know, kind of uh, pedantic, we have one job as Christians: being outside of loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors ourselves. It's going to all the world and preach the gospel. And using the vernacular of the day, we suck at doing this. I mean, this just it's, yeah, it seems you're, like. You're right. the, is that, I mean, I, 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 you seem like a pretty real guy, so I want to start right with the core. Talk about, well, the strategy, and, and when you talk about the, the visual on the cover of the book, Through the Gate, is really compelling. What do you, what do you mean by Through the Gate? What, what's that reference to? Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I, and I couldn't agree, you know, any more with you, Roger, on the, on the fact of the poor, you know, job that we've done. And I can say that as a pastor. I mean, you obviously, if you've been a believer for a long time, you can, you know, marry with that same sentiment. And that's what the book is about. And it was based on an encounter that I had, gosh, it's been now, you know, 18 years ago. And that was me being invited to be a keynote speaker in a Caribbean island. Uh, if you can picture 10 or 11 different nationalities coming to converge in this one location. And and I guess in my mind, I pictured the Caribbean, I pictured beachy, I pictured, you know, the, the big palm trees and this beautiful scene. But when we landed and we took our team into this particular area that we would be speaking it was a really, really impoverished area, uh, anything but what we would think and picture. When we pulled into the gate, I'll never forget it. It was kind of reminiscent of a battle scene. And me being a prior military guy, I immediately started thinking, you know, what have we got ourselves into? A, number two, what is it that we're protected from? Like, what are we entering into? There's an armed guard with an AK-47 out front. Mm. So anyway, we, we, came, we came through the gate. And they locked it behind us. I'll never forget, Roger, them putting a chain around the, the, the gate itself two or three times and then this huge kind of a old padlock and walked away and stood guard. Well, anyway, I was uh, getting ready to preach, and everyone had convened at the probably one area in the entire area that had air conditioning. And so I'm walking across this very inhospitable grounds, if you will. And the uh, the hostess was walking me across the host of the conference. And as I looked over to the right, Roger, I saw these eight boys with their faces pressed through the gate, arms reaching out. And in my mind, I, I thought very flippantly at the time I was a youth pastor. And I said, hey, what about those kids? Can they come in? I thought the worst case scenario, she would say, you know what? You can't have them in because they didn't register or because they didn't pay or whatever. Mm-hmm. At worst case, I'd pay for them, and they'd come in, and it'd be all set. And she made this statement to me, and I'll never forget it. She said, Pastor Mark, you don't want those types of kids in here. They're trouble. They're street kids. Mm. And, man, my heart dropped. And um, I didn't get into a debate with her. I wonder now what would have happened. But I've been advised by many people traveling overseas, third world countries, don't get into a debate politically, religiously, otherwise. You're their guest. Be their guest. So I digressed in the moment, but I went over and preached on Isaiah chapter six. And of course, when you go through the whole process of this Prince of the prophet goes through seeing his own sin in light of the holiness of God, and then comes the great question of missiology, which you 
kind of cited from Matthew 28, 19, where we get this this command and this great commission where God says, who will go? Who will I send? Who will go for us? And of course, Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. And when I said that, I mean, pretty much as clear my spirit as I'm sitting here speaking to you, Roger, the Holy Spirit said, Mark, I have sent you, but I've sent you to the outside of the gate because that's what I died for. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it just moved me. And so when I got through preaching, I went outside and was going to open the gate to let them in. But when I got out there, five of the eight boys were still standing there, hands still pressed through the gate, almost looking like they were in prison on the outside. Mm. And I began to get a little bit of emotion kind of coming out. And the guy, I'm sure these kids thought, who is this weird dude coming at us crying? <laughs> yeah. And when I got out there, their hands immediately grabbed mine. I grabbed theirs. I remember the calluses. I remember their, their feet and just, just, just barefoot and what have you. And I, I got the, the attention of the armed guard and I said, hey, man, just open the gate. I want these guys to come in. I'm going to give them some food. Da, da, da. Well, he couldn't find the key. Hmm. No one could find the key. So in the moment, I realized what the Lord was bringing me to. It was a moment that would forever change me. And that would be me kneeling down right there, their hands in mine, looking them in the face and sharing the gospel. Those boys unashamedly praying and asking Jesus Christ boldly Mm -hmm. out loud Mm -hmm. to be the Lord of their life through that locked gate. And that became probably the greatest metaphor for the rest of my ministry, even to this day, almost 20 years later. So wow. that, that's wow. the picture of the, you know, the cover itself. I had and such a, the, uh, well, it's, it's a beautiful picture. It's, it's so provocative. It's so poignant. Pastor Mark Pritchett is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And we're talking about the cover. Uh, see, we haven't gotten to the book yet, <laughs> but we've talked about the cover <laughs> and the book. His new book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. So many different ways we could go. Uh, you know, from just you telling that story, but I'm, I'm just, I'm impressed with the reaching through, the pressing through, and the idea that these boys are not necessarily locked in a prison per se, but they're on the outside looking in to see what's going on there and you coming across. Talk about how a lot of people think, okay, well, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to, you know, missionary training or whatever. I We, we have missionaries for this type of stuff. So you, you know, we're kind of off the hook. And yet the way I read the Great Commission is for everyone, each of us individually. Talk about how we can better understand what mission is before we actually try to get, buy ourselves out of having to do yep. this duty. You know, talk about that if you would. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question, Roger. And 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 in the book, I address it even with the first chapter. It's called "Who Will Go," and the and the, and the the question is not at all rhetorical. It cannot remain rhetorical. It has to be addressed. And you know, many people, and you may have seen this, your listeners may have seen this or heard this, and you know, just verbiage of people in the church saying, "I'm just looking for my purpose. I'm trying to find my purpose mm-hmm. in Christ. I I want to be used. I want to make a difference." And again, you led in with this that. Not only Matthew, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then again in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we have explicit commission to go and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So for me, I I paint a picture in the book. You know, maybe it feels funny in the moment, but when you readers read the book, there's a a picture, if you will, of of God standing on his throne, because that's what Isaiah saw. And he's basically asking the question, who will go? Now, here's, here's what I think to be true. Let's use my world. If Billy Graham had told me, Mark, I want you to go with me. I want you to travel with me. I want you to be my spokesperson. I want you to introduce me to people. I want you to know what I know. You know, all of these things. Mark, would you do that? 
there, there was there wouldn't have been a time to pray about it. There wouldn't have been a time to debate it. No matter what I was doing, I would drop it. And here we have the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the redeemer of mankind, saying, who will go for me? And in my book, I paint the picture of Isaiah kind of picturing himself amongst all these millions of people throughout the corridors of time, jumping up saying, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me, I'll go. Not the reverse, which is what we do. We kind of back away and say, you know what, that's a missionary's job, that's a pastor's mm-hmm. job. And so for me, even off on the onset of the book, the who will go is, is kind of forcing that reckoning of each one of us to say, you know what, this is not about seminary. This is not about a platform. This is about the greatest privilege that each of us as believers have to speak life into a bankrupt soul and to see the life of Christ deposited into them and and to see that change. I mean, I've seen that. I've witnessed that on different fronts, and it never gets old to me. And, and And I pray that if people are listening today and they've never shared their faith, maybe to just be like the blind boy who was, you know, given his sight you know, they begin to condemn Christ. They begin to say, he's a blasphemer. He's a magician. He's this, he's this. And I love his retort. It wasn't, no, here's the, here's the 613 laws. Let me quote them for you. (laughs) He didn't do that. He said, you know what? You might be right about this, but one thing is certain. I was blind, but now I see. Right. And so for me, that's what any of us can do is just share our story, man. Use our failures and just be willing to, you know, be honest about it and be real with it. Boy, that's powerful. Uh, a great exhortation from Pastor Mark Pritchett today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the special edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, special in that I'm talking with Matt, Pastor Mark Pritchett today here on The Bottom Line about his new book called Through the Gate. And we're discussing evangelism. We're talking mission work. We're talking about reaching the unchurched. And why, quite frankly, uh, so many of us in the body of Christ don't actually do this. And Pastor Mark, uh, during the break, we were talking about, you know, kind of effective means for for doing so. And the last thing we want to do is give anybody some kind of false hope. Follow this three-step formula, and everybody you preach the gospel to is going to, you know, miraculously become saved. I mean, we understand that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to go and be obedient. And yet we've talked a lot about the number of people who kind of look for an excuse or trying to get off the hook. But at the same time, when you get right down to it, um, you said something before the break I wanted to circle back around to, and that is the telling of the story. You know, the, hey, I don't know theology. I don't know homiletics or hermeneutics or anything like that. But I do know I once was blind and now I see. That it's very simple. It's very effective. But we all have a story like that to share, don't we? We we really do. I I was... You know, I was moved by something I read several years ago called the Paradoxical Commandments, and it really kind of left me with an ability to book in any inhibition that people may have in, in sharing their faith and, and almost kind of not allowing life to become cynical and hopes that one day we stand before the Lord and he's just going to understand that I was an introvert or I didn't know enough. And the truth is, Roger, he's not going to understand that. The Bible says we will stand before him without excuse. And so what I didn't know is when I wrote this book is that Dr. Kent Keith is still living, and, and I had read this so many times as just a means of kind of 
kicking myself in the spiritual hind end to say, you know what, keep going and keep doing this thing. So if I may, I, I really think it can be impactful. Let, let me read this to you. It's really powerful. Yeah. I read it all. Yeah. It says, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight Mm. for a few underdogs anyway. When you spend years building, what you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. And then just three more. People really help. No, I'm sorry. People really need help, but may attack you when you do help them. Help people anyway. And then give the world the best you have, and you will get kicked in the teeth. But give the world the best you have anyway. And so for me, you may share your faith. And you may get shot down. You may share it a hundred times and get a hundred no's and you may get the laughters and you may get the, the attack. But at the end of the day, Roger, share it anyway. It's, it's mm-hmm. the only hope for mankind. And if we don't try, there's a really, really good chance we're never going to succeed. So try anyway. Anyway, boy, Pastor Mark Pritchett is preaching the gospel to us today here on The Bottom Line, which is good, because so many of us don't do that. I mean, and and we are called to go and share the gospel with other people. Uh, The book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark, do you ever come in contact with people who say, boy, I've been trying to, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and it just isn't working for me. And then you hear them try to explain the gospel and realize they don't really understand it themselves. I mean, is that, do you think that that might be part of the reason why either people aren't willing to share it? We always talk about the reluctance, or maybe they're sharing it incorrectly. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, chapter four, I say, meet them where they are. Chapter five is interesting. You asked that question. It's entitled, keep it simple. You know, I, I don't think that, uh, the gospel was meant to be uh, complicated. We we're, we're reminded in that. Uh, I think it was James when they came out of the Jerusalem Council, the half brother of Jesus. He made this statement. He said we should not not make it complicated for Jews who are turning to. Or for, I'm sorry, for Gentiles who are turning to Jesus. You remember they were trying to add the food laws and they were trying mm-hmm. to say circumcision is a must, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know what? It's my sentiment coming out of this council. We should just make it easy for people to come to know Jesus. And wow, what a what a great way to approach that is just don't speak to what you don't know. Speak to what God's done in your heart. Time is critical. Use your failures. See it as a privilege. Do it anyway. And then I just really think we're going to see greatness come from that because at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through us. We, we can't change or save anyone, right. but we can most certainly introduce them to the one who can Pastor Mark Pritchett is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His book, Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark, we've been seeing a lot more of two things in the culture that really got my attention. The first is just the complete base and vile nature of a lot of the media, performances, and what used to be called art, you know, like with the Grammy Awards and things like that, that people are just kind of losing their mind over. And at the same time, we see this outpouring of literally the Holy Spirit power through prayer. I think of Damar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills and all that type of stuff. How do you recommend to a brother and sister in Christ 
that we take these types of events. I remember Billy Graham used to say that uh, one of the uh, things he used to do to prepare for his sermons, of course, was to pray and read God's word, but also to read USA Today every morning when he was on the road to find out yeah. what was happening in the yeah. world as well. So how do yeah. we... How do how do we uh, how do we leverage what's happening? Do do you recommend people look more toward the positive, or is somehow the negative? I mean, bad news sometimes get people's yeah. attention. What do you recommend? Yeah, I think if we only look at positive or negative, I think either way only uh, brings a convoluted approach. And 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 then again, I think we can. I think legalism is standing at the door. I think the, the greatest aspect of this, and I, I just wrote. It's funny you say that. I just wrote. A, a post and, and tag some pictures on, on my social media pages about kind of what I witnessed the other night on the Grammys. And, and I'm very careful to use the words that I think God would be honored by, but I want to call out what I think is evil. And I think that's what we've been seeing. Sure. But I think for me, you know, again, familiarizing myself, educating myself on what's happening, what's going on there, not, not being too careful to jump into, you know, theories and conspiracies or what have you. But I think just the simplicity of this point, you know, to beat the Bible says that God so loved the world. He uses that definite article so. It's very interesting. And then over here where it says, let your light shine, it doesn't just say let it shine, it says let it so shine. So, so the parallel is the beauty of the light is only applicable when shown in darkness. You know, mm -hmm. we don't go around with a flashlight in broad daylight. You know, the beauty of us being the light of the world in Christ is that our light works best when simply shown in the most evil of places. That doesn't mean we go there. That doesn't mean we drop or dip our colors. But, you know, I think just being who we are in Christ, loving people, meeting them where they are, not going to where they are, but meeting them where they are, you know, metaphorically, I think is going to be the brightness that the world is going to need. Be consistent in our own walk. Don't say one thing on social media and live another thing in life. Don't say one thing in church and live another thing in your social media. I think we have a huge responsibility as representatives of Christ, not to be perfect, but to be very vulnerable, be real, and uh, be authentic. And I think that's mm -hmm. what the world's looking for right now. And I think that's why God called me to write this book is people want to share their faith. They don't know how. You know, it's not a one, two, or three kind of thing, but at least right. it gives us tools to put in our tool bag. So I love it. I love it. Well, you can you can hear it in your voice and in your testimony here in the spoken word, and then also in the written word as well. Pastor Mark Pritchett, the book is called Through the Gate: The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We have a link for the book at the, up at the bottomlineshow.com. Mark, where do we find you on social media these days? Yeah, it's Mark M A R C, Mark Pritchett, and usually there's a one beside my name. But yeah, Northridge Church pastor, Rush Ministries founder. I'm on all platforms, and would love to hear from you guys. Love for you to pick up the book and just pray that God uses it to to Amen. help you share your faith. And let's let's go Amen. change the world together. Uh, let's do it, Mark. Thank you. It's great to get to know you, and thank you for the work that you put into this book, but also for our time together here on the Bottom Line Show today. And Roger, the feeling is mutual. Thank you, brother, for being a light man. I appreciate you so much. Good discussion and a good topic of conversation, too. The book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a couple of copies of the book to give away right now here on this Good News Friday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Pastor Mark Pritchett's book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. And if you've ever wondered why fewer and fewer people are sharing the gospel. I mean, this is a compulsion of ours as Christians. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
preach the gospel to all every nation, tribe, and tongue. Uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, you can see the exact wording. Baptize those who receive this message in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is our call. This is our command. And yet there are a lot of people who might get to the end of their days and say, you know what? I don't know that I ever led anybody to Christ. And then they'll stop and double down and say, I don't know if I ever shared the gospel with anyone. Brothers and sisters, that's not optional. But this is a resource that will show you how in the life of Pastor Mark Pritchett, uh, he's found a way using an example that he shares at the gate analogy you'll see is uh, laid out clearly in the book. Two copies of the book, Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched, are up for grabs, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. My thanks again to pastor and author Mark Pritchett for a great conversation about evangelism, about sharing the good news with others and why it is, uh, not only is it important, it is basically essential if you're a Christian. His book is called Through the Gate, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. We've got a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com and two copies of the book that we're giving away right now here on this Good News Friday here on The Bottom Line Show. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I know what you're saying. I used to feel the same way. I'm not an evangelist. And so therefore, what do I have to share about the gospel? I'll tell you what happened in my life and see if this happened to yours. The first thing that happened in my life was I went to seminary. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to seminary to learn the true gospel, but it was there where I first and fully heard the gospel proclaimed and explained. I know there are a lot of churches that will say, we preach the gospel, my pastor preaches the gospel. What they mean is their pastor teaches expositorily going verse by verse through scripture. That's good, but, and, and the, the gospel message is woven all throughout the scriptures, but unless you delineate to people, the gospel message is, here's the good news. The good news is you're a sinner, you are born into a sinful fallen world as a sinful person, and you can't free yourself from your sin, but the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus Christ would come into the world, and, and anyone who believes that Christ's death and resurrection pays the penalty for your sin, will have eternal life. That is the gospel. There's really not a whole lot more to it than that. We have a command from God, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16, go into all the world and preach that gospel. Here's the second part of my gospel story. 
about five years ago, coming up March 12th, it would be the fifth anniversary of me having open heart surgery. It was about six years ago, uh, doctors actually discovered that I had a problem with my heart. My heart was malfunctioning. The, uh, it wasn't a blockage of arteries like it typically is for a lot of people. I, the arteries were clear and moving quite nicely. As a matter of fact, post-surgery, I take 10 milligrams of Crestor every day just as a precaution, but my arteries have been really good. But the problem with my heart was that it was failing. The valve on the aorta, the aortic valve, that is where it regulates the pumping. Every time the blood pumps through the part, it punches back up to the aorta. That's where the oxygenated blood goes back into your system. Um, that aortic valve was closing. It was called stenosis. It was, it was a bicuspid instead of tricuspid, which just means it had one flap across it, looked like a piggy bank, instead of the little peace sign or Mercedes-Benz logo like most people have. And so it was failing. If the blood doesn't get through there, obviously the blood won't pump, the heart doesn't work, the brain doesn't work. You know, that, that's basically the end of your life. Doctors discovered it, and about maybe a week, we had a discussion as to when I should have the surgery. And the doctor told me, he gave me two options, and I chose the earlier option, and he told my daughter after the surgery that if they had waited another week, it would have been too late. But here we are five years later, and I'm having this conversation. I was on the verge of death, and the doctor's intervention saved my life. In the same way, my spiritual heart was dying of sin. And the ultimate surgeon and the great physician and the great healer reached in and repaired my old heart and gave me a new one. And that new heart beats for him and has ever since I was 19 years of age. And God can do the same work in your life that he did in mine and that he's done in the lives of billions of people before that. So that's the good news. And that's the bottom line. Welcome back or welcome, depending on when you're listening and where you're listening and how you're listening. I know we have a lot of terrestrial radio people who listen in on the, uh, the last half hour of the show. So this is a welcome to you. For those who've been listening for the entire 90-minute broadcast, it's a welcome back because we just took a commercial break. But it's Good News Friday here on the Bottom Line Show, and we are giving away a resource. Through the Gate is the name of the book by Pastor Mark Pritchett, The Strategy for Reaching the Unchurched. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got two copies we're giving away. Crystal, still take your calls at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, there's some good news happening in the battle for the sanctity of dignity of life, the way God intended it to be. And that was a long way around the barn to say that God, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, goes through the whole, entire creation story. People debate whether it was six literal days or six days that were surrounded by millions of years in between. Uh, but, you know, taking it at a young earth, you know, face value type of equation. By the time you get to the end of Genesis 1, God has created, decided to create mankind. Now remember, when we say he, it's the Godhead, which is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created mankind, male and female, he created them. Now here's the, the place where it gets kind of interesting. If you look at the DNA and chromosomal makeup of men, men have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome, which technically says male and female. When Eve was created, because God looked at everything that he had made, said that it was good, but then said it is not good. The first thing that God said was not good in the Adam and Eve story was that man was alone, that Adam, the man, the XY guy, uh, was, was that way. And so he caused him to go to sleep, 
up until that point, evidently, Adam didn't sleep and didn't need to, but he caused him to go to sleep. And it's, by the way, can I just throw this out here for a second? In the last segment, I was talking about my open heart surgery. We're coming up on the fifth anniversary of that on March the 12th. And I was discussing how my gospel presentation, if you're sharing the gospel with someone, involves the whole, I had a heart that was failing. My aortic valve was in stenosis, which is a fancy way of saying it was closing up. It was getting rigid. It's calcified. It, it, the blood could not, the oxygenated blood could no longer flow back up through it as easily. I was finding myself fatigued, lightheaded, had a couple incidents where I almost passed out and um, I thought I was having a heart attack and I kind of was. And uh, if it, and in all honesty, if it weren't for Dennis Wilson's office, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now. Um, my parents had just uh, uh, enrolled in a program for CD alternatives and I was getting one of them and you have to go through a regular routine health exam, physical. And the licensed vocational nurse who ran the exam looked at the test results and said, there's an erratic heartbeat, we can't issue the policy. We recommend you go see a cardiologist and a pulmonologist. And they looked at x-rays from a previous hospital stay. They found two little dots on my right lung. And they said, oh my gosh, you might have lung cancer. You, you really need to go to a pulmonologist. Well, it turned out that was just scar tissue. And they didn't get any bigger. We monitored them for about a year and there was no problem there. But then um, the cardiologist came in and they ran a bunch of stress tests and a variety of different things. And it took a couple of months. There wasn't a real sense of urgency per se until January 19th of 2018, where I went to go visit a cardiologist. A new guy was meeting for the first time. and or No, I, I'd seen Dr. Whitman before. And it's just weird because... I asked my daughter Kaylee if she'd go with me. She was is a scientist of sorts. She's finishing up her uh, PhD in biokinesiology right now. She'll be graduating in a couple months. And I said, would you come with me? Because there may be some medical terminology they use, and I don't know enough about that terminology to where if I go, go into shock, I want you to be able to translate for me. And so they started talking about the heart. And she goes, well, I know more, a lot about the muscular system and skeletal, but I don't really know that much about cardio vascular stuff so i remember he told me what was going on we both went into my car afterwards and we were both on our phones on webmd and everything we could find out trying to figure out what exactly he meant by uh, um, the aortic stenosis and etc cetera, etc cetera. but basically said you're gonna have to we're gonna have to crack your chest go in and replace the heart or valve the aortic valve and oh by the way the uh, blood where the valve pumps into the ascending aortic valve um, is uh, basically there's an aneurysm there and it's about ready to break and that's a ticking time bomb. And if that breaks and you go into what they call aortic dissection, you have a 20% chance of survival. And so I went, oh my gosh, I mean, that's, it's just, it's so wild. So uh, we had surgery and uh, they replaced the valve with a bovine valve. So now I'm, some of my friends who have agricultural backgrounds will come by and ask me if I had a moving experience because it's from a cow. And then um, the ascending, uh, aorta that valve going up uh that one now has been replaced by something i think it's made out of dacron or something like that it looks like that little connector between the dryer and the vent that goes out the wall yeah i've got one of those in there too so yeah five years later i'm still here doing this but you know when people ask about your heart i talk about how my heart was surgically repaired and there's some man-made things in there and that's kind of keeping me alive right now but i know that physically spiritually and otherwise the reason i'm still here is because of god because he said you're not done yet 
um, because he might have said, you know, I'm not ready for you. <laughs> That's fine. Or your work here is still, there's still work to do. And ever since that time, ever since that day, now I understood practically how to apply the gospel message and how to actually share it with other people. I guarantee you, you can go to most leading evangelical churches and even mainline denominational churches as well. And if you asked their pastor how often they preach the gospel, outside of the Lutheran church, they'll say, well, I preach it every week because I read from the Bible. The Lutheran church will say, well, you have to present the gospel because that's the way Lutheran pastors are trained to preach. But I've heard a lot of Lutheran sermons where the pastor doesn't really present the true gospel. The true gospel is really just very simple. And when you start with the true gospel, that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, that we're sinful, born into a sinful fallen world, we can't free ourselves from that sin, but Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the solution. His blood pays the penalty for our sin. Then everything else lines up and it makes sense. You can see how many people have rejected God and now they're going through all sorts of craziness with regard to gender identity and gender confusion and, and uh, what, what's legal and illegal. And you see one political party that basically just says anything that's not of God, um, <laughs> we want. That's what we want to follow. But you have another political party that has kind of conflated uh, the idea of being a Christian with being an American. And so... Yeah, don't, I, it's a good idea these days not to get too tightly wound up in political parties because there's a good chance that uh, you're going to be let down by one side or the other in one of those arguments. Now, one place where one side does seem to do a little bit better job than the other is in the sanctity of human life and the dignity and value of human life. And that's as it pertains to protecting the unborn, the preborn, and also protecting the innocent children who are being exposed to all sorts of horrible horrific things in the name of political correctness and tolerance and acceptance and things like that. In the state of Missouri, uh, we have a couple of elected officials who have decided that this is, in fact, a problem that kids are dealing with, and now we're going to have to do something to stand up and just call it what it is. The LGBTQ community seems to have rallied around people who perform in drag, which is an expression, I guess. I don't know where, where it came from. But it's men who dress in women's clothing or women who dress in men's clothing. And it's predominantly men who dress in women's clothing that get the most attention. Apparently, there's a movement afoot for people who are in the drag world to want to reach out to kids and minors and show that being a drag queen or whoever is perfectly acceptable, it's perfectly normal, and it's a way to kind of usher kids into acceptance of all forms of LGBTQ expression. For some reason, the LGBTQ community on the whole, and I'm saying this anecdotally, seems to be of the mindset that everything they do is right and pure and it's never bad and there's no pedophilia, there's no child abuse, there's nothing going on because they're just having a good time and living their lives and loving who they are. And, well, let's face it, there are straight people who engage in those types of you know, horrible criminal activities as well as gay people. It does not discriminate. But when you see more and more of these drag performers who have criminal records and they're still going out to school libraries and public libraries and other public places and encouraging children as young as three and four and five years of age to engage in conversation with them and performance with them, then you have to wonder. So meanwhile, we head over to Missouri where Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey took a rather bold step a couple of weeks ago. It turns out that uh, the, a group of middle school students in Columbia, Missouri, 
wound up attending a drag show. Now, basically what happened, I mean, the, the, the administrators are saying, hold on a second. Uh, we didn't know this was going to happen. We were shocked and uh, we, were, we were stunned. We didn't know what was going to happen to, to these kids. We, we didn't know this was going to be a problem. So, uh, you know, oops, our bad. Okay. Well, here's the, um, here's what they were signing up for. Columbia, Missouri has a values diversity breakfast every year. Okay. When you hear the term diversity, it used to mean, oh, that means we are underrepresented in certain minority quotients and we want to make sure that we are diverse. If there's an equal number of men and women, all people of color as well as Anglos are represented, that's what diversity means. The LGBTQ mob has basically hijacked the diversity argument and now diversity means people who are queer and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and so you could almost bet that if there's anything that it has to do with diversity and values, that means drag queens are going to show up these days. And sure enough, uh, there's a group called Inclusion Plus. They were the ones who hosted the, the performance, as it were. And according to the City of Columbia's website, they said... The Columbia Values Diversity Breakfast typically features a breakfast, an awards presentation, artistic celebrations, and keynote addresses. The celebration is coordinated by the city's Office of Cultural Affairs and enjoys the support of many community volunteers and sponsors. A parent posted a school permission slip for the event on Facebook. Uh, The slip noted that there would be songs and performances, but did not mention who would actually be doing them. So when it turns out that 30 Columbia middle school students wound up at this breakfast and the drag queens came out and started doing their thing, well, that's when the attorney general took action. And Attorney General Andrew Bailey fired the administrators and teachers who were responsible for taking these kids to this drag show. Now, they're fighting back, and so is he. And the good news part of this Good News Friday story is how effective the fight is has been for family values and what God intended. Let's talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. This is an exciting time. We just finished our first movie. We had a great turnout from KBRT, and we want you to know that you're invited to the second one. Those of you who missed it, because we know there's quite a few who would like to have come, it's going to be on February the 25th. It's going to be at the Gem Theater. They're going to have free popcorn, free sodas, and free hot dogs. It's a fun location. It's a fun place to go and take you back in time. But really what it does is it's even more fun to get the information because the information that you get can really be vital to where you are now or where you're going to be in five years from now. And so when do you start thinking about retirement? Well, you better start thinking about it now. And and so this will get you ahead of the ball, get you ahead of the curve. We can't emphasize enough that it is really a, for lack of a better word, it's a non-denominational movie. It's just there to give you the facts and let you disseminate how and what you're going to do with your future. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and our Good News Friday story comes from the Show Me State, Missouri, Uh, This hour, Andrew Bailey is the attorney general of Missouri, and he recently fired a group of teachers and administrators in Columbia, Missouri, uh, over the fact that about 30 middle school students were involved in, they were taken to a, uh, uh, they were taken to the Columbia, Missouri Values Diversity Breakfast. 
typically, it's a breakfast, an award presentation, artistic celebrations, keynote addresses. The city's Co- Office of Cultural Affairs puts it together. And, well, there is also going to be some kind of singing and you know performances and stuff like that. What the city officials said they were not informed of is the fact that one of the groups performing was going to be a group of drag queens who would be performing at the event. Um, they had a what they called a dance and singing performance. And the school district had to go back and kind of eat a little crow. And they said, well, um, we were not provided the details of the performance in advance of the event. And then when they said that the, uh, the drag performers did show up, uh, that there was kind of, as they put it, an unfortunate misunderstanding and an unfortunate amount of misinformation that uh, went out. Now, what's interesting um, is I there's a picture of one of the drag queens who just looks crazy. I, I don't understand the drag thing at all. I really don't. Um, but there's a bunch of people. It looks like they're at a restaurant or something like that. And they're you know, someone's reading from the menu or whatever they're doing. And there's this guy with this look on his face like, what in the ever-loving? I don't get it. Now, Andrew Bailey, the attorney general, said, I'm firing the teachers, firing the administrators because they endangered the lives of the children. The school pushed back and said, "Uh, we didn't know in advance that it was going to be a drag show. Uh, There was a lot of misinformation going on. So here's what Andrew Bailey said in response. Well, the school's response, he said, is really telling because the superintendent says, look, the school officials don't know that drag's a part of the event and that the drag show is not harmful for kids. Okay, so here's my question. If it's not harmful, why would they need to know about it? I love when people use that kind of logic and reasoning and somewhat rhetorical at that, which is, look, on the one hand, you're saying that it isn't harmful. So we wouldn't need to know about it because it should be fine for the kids. On the other hand, you're saying, well, uh, the the, the kids, we we didn't know that they were going to be exposed to this. So therefore, you can't fire our teachers. Well, wait, so his point is, if it was harmful and you didn't know about it, you're trying to use that as an alibi. But if it isn't harmful and you didn't know about it, who cares that you didn't know about it? So Andrew Bailey's office said they're taking an all-hands-on-deck approach. They've called for the resignation or termination of any school official who knew about this shameful behavior. This needs to happen now to restore the district's trust with parents. We're going to partner with everyone we can. School officials, law enforcement, prosecutors, juvenile officers, anyone we can make use to make sure that we are adhering to school law on this issue. But if people need to resign, they should be resigning. If people need to be fired, we will fire them. It's interesting because he said, here's the reason that's what's driving him here. He says, we have sent a model resolution to the Missouri School Board Association and asked them to circulate it with their members. That resolution would prevent any future school officials from taking students to a drag show because drag shows have no place in our schools. We want to empower parents, and that's why we're in the fight. The sanctity of life and the dignity of life here says, look, it's the parents' responsibility to protect their children from unharmful issues. And the school district can't have it both ways. On the one hand, they're saying it's no big deal, it's inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. You shouldn't have a problem with it. On the other hand, they're saying, well, you know, we didn't know it was going to be there. If we'd known, we would have done something different. 
So take your pick. What's it going to be? I admire Andrew Bailey as the Attorney General of Missouri simply for saying, look, parents have the ultimate responsibility for their kids. You're acknowledging that woke ideology only goes so far and that many drag performers have been convicted of crimes. That There is a, an, a, an aspect of grooming and pedophilia that is involved in this big push for drag shows. And the political correct crowd is just... They've kind of lost their minds on this one. Remember the pastor who wanted to have a pastor story hour at a a public library in the Midwest? And they told him no because it would be hateful until he pointed out, look, you have drag queens come in here and do mock striptease events for small children. And you don't allow parents in. And you don't allow people to protest that they're here. I'm a pastor and I'm going to read Bible stories. And you're more afraid of a pastor reading Bible stories than Dragzilla out there bumping and grinding on some five-year-old's lap? Kirk Cameron, same thing. Guy wrote a couple of children's books, wanted to read them in the public library. They, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. Until a couple of them backed down. And now they're packing them out. They're overflow crowds. Hundreds of children, hundreds of parents coming, and they want to hear, and they want to see, and they want to support. Maybe the woke crowd at some point should take a step back and say, instead of trying to force our ideologies up your nose and down your throat, we're actually going to pay attention to what people want. Even if you don't believe in the values, take a look at what people want and who turns out for your events. It's good news to see people standing up for biblical values in the public square. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter to me. Adults standing up for biblical values that protect kids. That's good news indeed, and that is the bottom line. As we continue, finally wrapping up this Good News Friday with a story I think that's encouraging because, again, as Christians, we have a call to care for creation. But does that mean we have to go full-blown, rainbow-loving, tree-hugging environmentalist? Or is there a way that we can find small incremental steps to show that we have a care for creation and that we love God and we want our light so shine to shine before others that they can see our good works and, and glorify their Father in heaven. We're going to talk about one such example of doing so coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Special edition because it was a good new Friday with a giveaway. And we're talking about living out your faith, 
modeling biblical values in the public square, whether it's how do you witness, whether it's how do you honor uh, the, 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 the lives of people who were victimized by the misdeeds of racism and a lack of justice, and how can we do so in a God-honoring way. And if you missed that segment, I encourage you to go back to thebottomlineshow.com or Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you podcast. Um, I was talking to some folks last week about the show, and they were a little confused about the how do I spell K-Bright Radio and whatever. I said, you know what? I have a website, rogermarsh.com. Go there. All of my bottom line show stuff is there and the stuff we do for Dr. Dobson's Family Talk as well. And if it's just easier, remember my name, R-O-G-E-R-M-A-R-S-H.com, and you can find all this information there as well. But we're talking about ways that we in the body of Christ can honor God to serve and love other people and to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And one of the ways that we can show that we love God is we care for his creation. I mean, this goes back to Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he creates Adam and says, okay, your job is to be the caretaker, to be the steward of everything you see. You get to name all the animals. How cool is that? But you're responsible for this. You didn't have to make it. You just have to maintain it. And now we find ourselves here in 2023, and we consume a lot of stuff, and we make a lot of stuff, and we litter a lot, and we just kind of keep shifting uh, the trash and everything around the globe. I was so disappointed (laughs) to hear that all the greenhouse laws that the U.S. was passing and saying, yeah, we need to do this to clean up the air and clean up the environment, like we own the air, right? I mean, we're responsible for the air over North America, but... You know, there's not a whole lot we can do in Asia when the Chinese are spewing out all sorts of billows of smoke all day long and don't want to play by those same rules. But when it found out that, you know, not all the trash we have is biodegradable, obviously, and landfills are kind of problematic because what are you, you're taking something that's not organic and putting it into an organic you know, entity like planet Earth. But then to find out that uh, with fewer landfills, fewer dump sites, that's really good. Well, it's because we're putting all the trash on barges and selling it to China. Yeah, I mean, so that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't seem to happen all that much. But trust me, I know the reason. Part of the reason why people don't like to go to landfills, anyway, is they stink, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is kind of funny. Every now and again, they'll you know build a monument on top or put a building on top of something. And I remember my pastor years ago talking about the fact that there was one community that tried to build like a park where a landfill had been, and uh, the landfill part had piled up so high they put a bunch of dirt on top of it and they threw some seeds for grass on top of it that and then they called it mount trashmore okay well anyway in the shenandoah valley the shenandoah valley virginia uh they have taken um this kind of sustainability to a whole new level there's a group called sustainability matters and when their executive director, Sari Karp, visited the site about five years ago, she saw a two-for-one opportunity uh, there. She saw that the landfills often cover their sealed trash with heavy-duty plastic. And it doesn't really allow much more than a turf grass, like I just mentioned, to be planted over it. But what they did is they said, you know, we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could get people to stop growing turf grass? because lawns really don't have a lot of environmental value. They don't provide a habitat. You have to water them. It takes fossil fuel to maintain them with lawnmowers. There's nothing in them for bees or butterflies. I mean, they, they just, it doesn't help. But basically, she said, here's the deal. By November of 2019, Sustainability Matters had purchased, uh, had launched phase one of a pilot program that they would seed a 20 by 100 plot at the Shenandoah Valley landfill with wildflowers. 
and other native plants instead. In the summer of 2020, people started applying for grants and they said, we want to do this too. They have then launched a whole series of uh, Zoom webinars and now Mountain Rose Herbs, which is a medicinal herb grower, has a yearly program called Grants for Plants, which provides funds for projects that support medical condition and environmental sustainability. Now nearly a thousand people are using the idea of instead of covering over landfill with this kind of plastic mesh and just throwing some grass on it and saying, there, there's a park. They're trying to create things that are a little more sustainable. So you put plants and flowers and, you know, the bees and the pollinators, as they were, get the pollen and they go and they cross-pollinate. It's a really clever example. We'll put the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Our friends at the Nonprofit Times have made this available to us. But brothers and sisters, we're not going to do everything all at once. There's not going to be one big sweeping change, whether it's the environment or, or uh, witnessing, evangelism, that type of stuff. It happens one-to-one, one person at a time, one act of kindness at a time. Every cup of cold water you give in Jesus' name has a spiritual and eternal significance. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.